In the playoff era, an unprecedented championship weekend with a number of teams still alive. We will make picks and suddenly things have gotten tight. This is the College Game Day podcast for Friday, December 1st, Picks Edition. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Stanford Steve here before we cut Taylor loose making a, making picks. Steve, if you had to if you had to invent or prognosticate the most likely chaotic scenario for Sunday for the selection committee, what would be your preferred results to just see what they would do in selecting the 14 field? Can I pick Iowa to win? I, I mean, if you want to. I mean, that seems impossible, but I, yeah. I, I, I think, yeah. Uh, all right, so we won't take that one. I Obviously, Texas win, Louisville win, Oregon win, Bama win. And so that would just leave a conglomeration of teams. Oh. Right? So you'd knock, that would so leave, you'd knock out – that would leave only – uh, did you, you say Michigan Louis, is the Michigan undefeated would be team. the only undefeated team? Yes. Everybody else would have one loss. That mm-hmm. would be that would that's a pretty good one. Well, I, I would ask you guys, what's the one game you want to see in the semis? It's a great question. That's a great, great question. Thank you, Pete. Um, and I think I would like to see Georgia play Texas because it would be a smash mouth collision in New Orleans, right in the center of where those two sort of power axes are. It's a view of SEC future. And I do feel like considering how Texas's D-line eventually took over that game against Bama, that they could go, they could really pound with with Georgia. I was going to say Michigan and Texas. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that Texas sitting there needing a little help, it seems, that both of us chose a game involving the Longhorns. Mm-hmm. Michigan, Texas in a two-three matchup would be would be pretty fascinating. And that's probably going to be so. Georgia holds serve. That that would be Rose Bowl then, right? I would think so. We'd think, yeah, I would think so. And then Georgia would get the Sugar Bowl against whoever uh, the fourth team is, whether it's the Pac-12 champion or Florida State or or whoever it might be. Which one, Steve? I I, I want Oregon, Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Uh, well, traditional to, flair too. Yeah, like I just this idea that the Pac-12 in this year is going to have to go to the Sugar Bowl to play Georgia. Like Lanning, I mean, we know our guy, but man, he had to go to the Georgia Dome to play him last year, and now he's going to have to go deep in the South and the Bayou, man. Like that after the year you have, and that's your that's your present. That that's a tough one, but don't lose a game, I would say, and. uh that that would be the argument there, but uh, just that just thinking of that, uh, but like I, I just you know with Oregon and what they do, but like you get your your uniform game, like if you got a Texas Michigan game like that that that's a that's a serious uniform mm-hmm. as long as Michigan wears their correct yes uniform, yeah not like last yeah year. I wasn't yeah I want I want them to wear the traditional it's even worse cool looking stuff. in person too the all navy <laughs> yeah I, I like the old school traditional uniforms yeah. and Pete this feels like the point based on Wednesday's podcast and now the early returns on this podcast where I need to say poor old Kalen DeBoer poor mm. old Michael Penix Roma Dunze is just going to try to get open and maybe get a maybe get an 11 yard catch before the end of the game poor old Huskies mm. 
Mm. Feel badly for them. No shot. Matt Kalen DeBoer is good at winning football Nobody games, is by the giving way. them. He's just kind of good at it. Like, yeah. like he all of a sudden is like has no chance after being really, really good at. It. He just hasn't lost a lot of football games. I, uh, like that would be that would be his you know his his legacy there. Uh, I did so. I did take uh, take a moment to send him a congratulatory message afterwards and said, "Don't start punting from your own twenty nine now." so we'll see if that's the way it goes so taylor uh give us an update on the race for the ribeye race for the ribeye week 14 the stakes are stakes and the stakes are extremely high for this last one here Uh, and don't fret we will have steve back on to talk semifinals and championship game and all that but right now steve one game lead over reese in the final week here uh pete had an awesome week last week six and two reese went five and three steve three and five so i was due yeah due theory for sure I'm glad I'm hanging around long enough. You can do it, Pete. That's all you got to do. Is stay in the middle. You know, the blind squirrel was hungry. I'm, I'm going to see if Pete's rooting interest impact his picks because we also have a have a secondary stake wager because midseason after Texas had pulled a couple of escapes, I said they're going to playoff, and Pete disagreed. So there's only one more rake uh, to avoid, but Pete. I, I don't know if I will be able to stomach the stake if Texas wins and does what I anticipated and yet becomes a one-loss conference champion that's on the outside looking in. That that deserves some type of asterisk. Like maybe you have to go to gold. Deserve. Maybe, well, maybe, Deserve. maybe it's like I the stake is like at Golden Corral instead of uh, instead of at you don't Maestro's or something like that. No, I don't want to do that. No. I'd rather rather have the nice steak. But that gives you an idea of the type of intrigue that we're looking at in this championship weekend, that Texas with one loss in the final seconds to an arch rival in the Cotton Bowl, um, that would be the thing that would keep them out of the playoff, potentially, depending on results that if Alabama were to end Georgia's 29-game winning streak, beat the dogs in the SEC championship, win what at least by the metrics and rankings is still believed to be the most difficult conference, and a singular loss in September <laughs> you know, to Texas keeps them out of the college football playoff, we are dealing with the type of drama and the number of teams with an opportunity, unlike any we've had in the now 10 years or 10 seasons of the college football playoff era. And it's absolutely delicious. It could also turn in real chalky pretty easily, you know, or Mm -hmm. come down to one question. It could pretty easily come down to one question, Texas or Florida state, you know, if um, you know, depending on what happens on Saturday. So let's make those picks fellas. Uh, Taylor, get us started. We'll start in Conference USA. That is Friday night, 7 p.m., New Mexico State at Liberty. Liberty, a 10-point favorite. We'll start with Reese, then go Steve and Pete. What a great season for Jamie Chabwell and his first season going to Liberty. They're, they're undefeated, dynamic quarterback. But in this game, getting 10 points with Jerry Kill uh, – I'm going to take New Mexico State and take the 10. I'm not discounting the chance that Liberty wins the game, but uh, the Aggies had the the big win on the road against an SEC team, an opportunity to come in and finish it off with a championship in Conference USA. So give me Jerry Kill and the Aggies. 
And you think about where that season started with a loss to UMass. Like that, that was That's a great point. I, I just, I, and, and, you know, it was week zero. I'm like, oh, I'll take Jerry Kill and, and, you know, against UMass in a, in a spot at home they were. Uh, but I, I, you mentioned Jerry Kill. Diego Pavia, Reese, mm-hmm. I, I think is something people haven't seen him. He's an absolute treat to watch. Plays, plays quarterback like a linebacker, uh, as tough as anybody out there. Uh, you know, word was, I, mean, Pete, I think you heard too, like he he possibly wasn't going to play against Auburn knowing that they had this game. They go in there and win that game. He was awesome. Uh, yeah, I think it's too many points. I don't feel like Liberty has faced uh, a guy like this in a system like this, and I just feel like Jerry Kill has this one circled. They had success um, last year against it. I know a different system, but uh, Liberty's up against a great season, awesome story. Uh, but again, I'm with Reese. Too many. Points. You know, did you see what uh, Pavia did in that game against Auburn? They had a free play. He throws mm-hmm. the ball down the field, Pete. I don't know if you saw it. Takes <clears throat> the shot at the play, gets intercepted. So now, you know, just just let it go. You're getting the ball back. So the guy runs it back and grabs the guy to tackle him, and then picks him up like Hulk Hogan and body yeah. slams the dude <laughs> right on the sideline. And so he gets an unnecessary roughness penalty. So he gets the ball back. But they had to back up 15 yards. I mean, they, they play with a little bit of an edge for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. They have a 33-year-old D.C. named Nate Dryling who shut down Auburn. I mean, the guy's had an unbelievable season. Uh, one of the rising stars. He was D2 player of the year at Pitt State a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Um, all that said, I I really think the year that uh, – that Caden Salter is having has, has been a little bit underappreciated. 29 touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, Jamie Chadwell is a quarterback magician, man. Like that guy can just, that guy just churns out winners and churns out yards. Uh, one, one of the great deft play callers. I just think Liberty's got too many weapons and, and too much firepower. I give Jerry Kill all the credit for maximizing, squeezing every drop out of them. I think Liberty rolls. I don't think this one's particularly close. Hey, before, before we jump to the next one, I just want to run through uh, for what New Mexico State did against Auburn and give you a, a few numbers in terms of rushing yards. Auburn against Georgia, 219 yards, five yards a carry two rushing touchdowns. Auburn against Arkansas, 354 yards, six and a half yards to carry. Auburn against Alabama, 244 yards rushing, 5.8 yards per carry. Auburn against New Mexico State, 65 yards, two and a half yards per carry, no trips to the end zone. So we'll see if they can shut down Liberty because, as we know, it's a different team every week, Taylor. The last Pac-12 championship game, pour one out. Oregon, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite against Washington. This is at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. It kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Friday night. We will start with our guy, Pac-12 Stevie, and then go Pete and Reese. I asked on the call Monday, guys, does, have you met anyone or does anyone think Washington's going to win this game? And I'm still looking for one person. Can't, can't find them. I do wonder about the tread on the tires of Washington. When you go back and look at this gauntlet, we've pointed out every single week uh, that they've been up against, you know, what Utah and shutting them out in the second half and in, in, in the game in the Coliseum and outscoring SC. Uh, you just you think about what's left, but 
there's plenty to play for. Seven one-score games they've won in in this year, most most in in the country, and I I I have to take Washington here just on principle and being in the game. There's still plenty to play for. Uh, Grub and, and DeBoer will have a plan. I still think I, I the one thing I will say about Washington. I think their defensive line has improved a ton. You start seeing Trice. You saw it at Oregon State. He was phenomenal. Last week made some big plays. I think they got some things for Oregon's uh, offensive line. The idea of Bo getting rid of the ball that quick obviously offsets everything. I'll take Washington plus the points. I just can't see Washington getting blown out. It's just like it just it's antithetical to the the realities that we've seen for the you know for the past twelve weeks. Um, for as much as everyone remembers that Oregon-Washington game for Lanning not kicking the field goals, um, two things stood out to me when you really think back. One is Oregon has a weakness at corner, especially depth when you get to the nickel corner and the extra corners. And uh, Roma Dunze is still Roma Dunze, right? And they're going to find ways to get him the ball. Uh, he's probably become my favorite player in the country this year. Just a what a, what a wonderful, talented, really just... Uh, just a really, really special player. And I don't have faith in the Ducks stopping them on the outside. So the combination of that and Kalen DeBoer, uh, and like they're underdogs, like no, they're going to play so free. Uh, yeah, I like I like Washington here. And I think Washington is going to win the football game. Washington hasn't had an elite performance really since Oregon. USC pretty good on offense, um, obviously, mm-hmm. but SC, you know, defensively was a train wreck by then almost all of Dylan Johnson's 5 million yards came before contact. Um, but other than that, they've had a couple of good performances, but not great ones. There are some extenuating circumstances in Corvallis with the weather. I think they're due a great performance and there is no way that even though I think Oregon is elite and I think both teams midseason, I thought both teams we're capable of winning the national championship. I will admit I'm a little more skeptical about Washington's ability to do that now and not as skeptical about Oregon's ability to win it all if they get in the playoff. But there's no way I'm laying nine and a half against uh, against that team in purple that we've seen a couple of times this year and seen on TV every week. No way. I'm, I'm taking the points, and I too, um, I too think they have a chance to win the game. And I think if it gets tied at the end, um, they've proven that they will make plays and they are fearless in play calling. And whether whether it's obviously the option play, which turned into an end around against Washington State, or the game against Oregon where they took consecutive shots and went boom, boom, and scored uh, in the clutch in the fourth quarter against them, they are fearless. And I'm, I'm not laying that many points against Washington, so I'll take the Huskies. Come on, man. you got to catch up to Steve. Picking my spots. Picking... He knows what he's no, doing. No, I don't either. I'm picking my... <laughs> There's a plan no, behind I'm picking, that. I'm picking my spots. <laughs> picking my spots. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to the Big 12 title game. Oklahoma State against Texas. Texas a 14.5 point favorite. This is on Saturday at noon from Jerry World. Does the mullet have a little more magic left? Let's go Pete, Reese, and then Steve. It's a lot of points, man. It's a lot of points. Um, yeah, Bill Connolly had a great line on the on the Wednesday pod where he said, uh, Texas is going to go up 24-7 and someone's going to score 31 unanswered. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm stealing Bill's line because that's exactly how this game is going to play out. Uh I just have a hard time at this point in the year seeing Oklahoma State lay down, even though I saw them lay down two weeks ago. Uh, when it, Was that UCF mm-hmm. when they just went there yeah. and totally laid just a dinosaur egg? Um, yeah, I on this stage with these stakes, and Texas is fighting human nature and history as much as it is uh, the pokes, I will take the mullet with uh, 14 and a half. This is a terrible matchup for Oklahoma State because what mm-hmm. Oklahoma State lives with with Ollie Gordon leading the nation in rushing is what you do not do against Texas uh, those two big defensive tackles and Sweat and Murphy uh, Sweat with his giant pendant make him sweat that is what he does uh, they mm-hmm. are built to stop teams who want to live running the football this has the possibility to be like Oklahoma State UCF to be like Texas and Texas Tech. And for some reason, Big 12 emotion, uh, that that type of moment, I it's a few too many points that I'm comfortable with because I think this game has a pretty good history of, you know, of, of getting weird. So I say, and Texas has also, in addition to looking dominant in moments, they've also let games get weird. So I say, mm-hmm. let's get weird. Texas wins the game. Oklahoma State's close enough to cover. And Oklahoma State will make Texas sweat at the end, probably with a late possession that the Longhorns will ultimately stop. I agree. I think it's too many points. I, I think Oklahoma State's going to want to shorten the game as much as possible. And listen, I'm watching Texas week one against Rice and seeing those defensive linemen knowing they were going to – Tuscaloosa and being blown away by that I get it I still think Gundy's creating enough with that run game whether it's split zone counters whatever you want to do get those guys running side to side give his quarterback a chance to make some throws I agree it's 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 14 uh they say it's a sellout I need to see that in that stadium for a noon kick it, it's a, it's always been a good crowd but that place is a sellout is is going to be astronomical and Reese you touched on it this game you know I remember back in the day you know when we had the upsets when they were playing at Arrowhead it was it was a night game and they have stepped into some some stuff here being that first game of the day and just really setting the tone and last time Oklahoma State was in that was an all-timer uh Baylor with the goal line stand so I I feel like something's going to get weird here. Gundy involved, all that's at stake. What he could do to put a final stamp on the two brands that are leaving. Uh, I'll take the points with with the Pokes. Maction, Ford Field, Detroit, Saturday, noon, Miami against Toledo. Toledo, a a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Let's go Reese, Steve, and then Pete. 
this Toledo team is really close to being undefeated. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not not far at all, and it's probably a surprise that at least this far their coach is not on the move. Miami, uh, you know, Miami's played good defense. They lost their quarterback earlier in the season. They've they've stuck around in these games, and uh, I think I think Toledo's probably got a few more weapons. Um, I'm I'm on principle against laying the number in uh, in a MAC game. But with a backup quarterback, even against that defense, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and and anticipate that Stanford Steve is gonna want to take those points uh, with the Red Hawks, and I'm gonna go with the Rockets and lay the uh, lay the seven and a hook. Okay, seven and a hook is a key number. Uh, I had Miami of Ohio on the fridge the last time these two play teams played. Uh, Gabbert was the quarterback. You're just he- trying to kiss up to our boss. We know. Oh, Big Red, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I wouldn't hear the the end of it. So, at least he loves making fun of my losses. I could take his team with a loss here if they lose, and then he can't say anything. So, give me give me the boys from Ohio uh, in Miami. Big game. Plus seven and a half. Big game now. All of a sudden, that just got bigger between the yes. two of us. Seesaw is starting to tilt. <laughs> <laughs> I am, uh, you know, doing this 20 years as confounded – as anything I've ever seen in terms of the coaching carousel, that Jason Candle has not landed one of these high-profile jobs. And I think the the thing that's impressed me about his tenure is when he won the MAC early in his career at Toledo, he did it, go, 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 big offense, you know, one of the elite play callers going down the field. And he has since essentially recalibrated the program. And again, good coaches play to their strengths. And they have now they are now much more balanced. They, they lean into their defense, uh, you know, Folks watching the uh, Maction game, uh, NFL fans will really enjoy seeing Quinion Mitchell, the corner at Toledo, who's going to be, you know, probably a top seventy-five, top fifty pick in the NFL draft. And not surprising, Toledo is uh, top ten in the country in pass efficiency defense. They are uh, they are an elite rush offense. They've just totally won counter to the ways that they won early in in Candle's career there when they had Logan Woodside and. Uh, Deontay Johnson and you know we're, we had more explosive offenses so I, uh, I I think they've been the class of the Mac all year and I think they uh, they outclass Miami again um, I know they it was obviously a closer game on the road last time I think they uh, I think they they cruise and uh, we, we see a sad big red on Saturday on the game day set Let's go to the Mountain West Championship game this one also at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas it kicks off at 3:30. P.M. Eastern on Saturday. That's Boise State against the Barry Odom Moments UNLV. Let's go, Steve, Pete, and then Reese. Oh, I'm in the tank for Barry Odom, so I'm taking UNLV. Boise has been a different team since they they fired their head coach, uh, and it's funny all the prognosticators and they are so scarred by UNLV football that the 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 betting and the money on this game I'm I'm really fascinated by cuz no one in the city of Las Vegas believes UNLV is going to win this game because of past uh history but I believe Barry Odom is that guy I, I love what he's done I hope he gets enough recognition uh when it comes to the coach of the year awards and all that stuff cuz that is that's a whole like think about where he's been at the at the apex, coach being a head coach in the SEC and then going there, just a doormat of a program and just turn it around like nothing. Uh, I, I just not enough credit for that. And you know, we 
time of year we focus on all the playoff stuff and and everything you know gets circled around that which is what everybody wants to talk about but these are the great stories that I I, th- I wish got more attention so I'm I'm in the tank for Barry give me give me the ribs I really think it's good you know two two great uh two great stories colliding here when you've got Barry Odom who should be national coach of the year Right, he just should be. There's just, a, it, yeah, the people in Vegas don't believe in him, Steve, because they they get 50 years of empirical they evidence. They, so. Yeah, they can't believe that they yeah. watched every week. Yes. <laughs> uh, so give Barry a ton of credit. Uh, give a ton of credit to Spencer Danielson, who took a program and gave it a lightning bolt, adrenaline shot, and has Boise rallied. Now some of that's come because they've gotten a little healthy, right? Ashton Genty is. Uh, is, is back for Boise. They've done a really good job uh, riding him these last two games. But, you know, college football is a momentum and motivation sport at its core, right? And Boise has momentum because they're motivated. And that's a credit to Spencer Danielson. I feel like he's going to be raising that Mountain West trophy after a win by more than three points over his head. And uh, the Boise decision makers will have some decisions to make. History makes you want to take Boise State and I understand uh, all of that I, I just think that UNLV's season has been you know has been sort of charmed they they play really good defense they can run the ball uh, quarterbacks uh, you know big guy Mayava who has has had some clutch moments I think that uh, I, th- I think in this season in which you know the the teams have come home, and won games that they're favored to win for the most part, even though it's a a small number in this game. Uh, I'm going to say that Boise State does not get this done, that the decision makers for the Broncos have a little more to think about in the end because they caught a little momentum. They got the interim head coach in Danielson to give them a jolt of energy, and then it all gets turned upside down by – Bill Connolly's hero, Barry Odom, who solidifies his case for National Coach of the Year, and UNLV becomes the Mountain West champions. Let's go to the SEC championship game. Georgia, six-point favorite against Alabama. This is at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Let's go, Reese, uh, and then Steve. Georgia has won 29 straight games, longest streak in SEC history. Uh, they have climbed every mountain there is to climb except for one. They've never beaten Alabama in the SEC championship game, and they can also add another loss in the city of Atlanta in the national championship game. Um, this uh, this is, uh, I think, the fourth time in uh, the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years or so that uh, Alabama has been an underdog. It's been to Georgia, and Georgia hasn't won in that situation yet. Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Georgia was favored in the national championship game in 21. I might be wrong about that, but is that, I think that's right. Uh, I'm not is sure. Not, I'll double it, check. I don't know any, about that. Any, anyway, um, when Alabama has been an underdog to Georgia, they've found ways to win the game. Georgia's rush defense is not as good as it has been in recent years. Milrow creates an entirely, a different set of problems for Georgia's defense than uh, than they've seen in many occasions this year. Uh, the health of Jace McClellan is certainly an issue for Alabama. The health of Brock Bowers is an issue for Georgia. And if he can, and even if he feels good in the pregame, does it continue to stay that way? 
Uh, you've got mm -hmm. a little subplot. There are a couple of former Bulldogs playing for the Crimson Tide. First time they've seen them in Jermaine Burton and Tresma Mitchell, the linebacker. Um, you know, I, Alabama's red zone offense has been outstanding. A uh, long streak of touchdowns came to an end against Auburn last week. And, of course, they pulled that game out of the fire. But I can't get past one thing. I've thought all season that Alabama was a year away. Uh, mm -hmm. Next year, offensive line, a couple of pieces on the offensive line are going to be older, more experienced. Milrow's going to be more settled in. Um, and some of the stars on defense will also have a year under their belts. I think um, – I think Alabama deserves a ton of credit for the improvement and growth, and they're a really, really good team. But I think Georgia's better, and I'm going to uh, – it's not going to be a blowout. It is a lot of points, but I will say that, that Georgia wins it, uh, wins a really, really good game and wins it by a touchdown. I cannot wait to be there for this game. Uh, last week, first time being at Michigan-Ohio State, but I picture this – with an energy because of the building and the teams involved with an energy times 10 of what we saw in Ann Arbor. And I just can't wait. It's what everybody wanted at the beginning of the season. I agree with you, Reese, about Alabama still not being there. But when you look at the attack plans for both offenses, the versatility of Bama with Milrow, his improvement throwing the ball and what he's been to do. We've talked about him, you know, getting out of the pocket on on when he should be all year, you know, watching games with you. And, it, you know, obviously something clicked, uh, and, and it's been great. But when I look at Georgia, you know, and you look at what's given Alabama's defense, it's that mobility of quarterback. It's involving the quarterback in the run. Georgia doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. And I think with those two guys, uh, you know, rushing, rushing the passer, and they were phenomenal against Auburn, just turning it up a notch in Braswell. And Turner, I feel like they're going to make Beck uncomfortable, and uh, I, I I really think this is I, I think McConkey's a, a monster factor. Uh, it sounds like Bowers is going to be all right, uh, but Georgia has a bunch of skill guys that I, if they play, I don't think they're going to be a hundred percent. And I I love the secondary. I, I uh, took a call from my man Cole Kubelek. I asked him flat out. I said, "Which secondary would you rather have?" And he knows the SEC better than anybody. And we disagreed. He said Georgia. I say Alabama. I just I, I love what they bring to the table uh, between the experience and the youth. And I think that's the difference. I think they make Georgia uncomfortable. I'm taking Alabama with the points. So both of these programs have evolved into modern football, and they, mm. maybe they relate to it, right? Like the the, the Saban Kirby mentality was always so defiant on defense and run and control the ball. And I think Kirby's willingness to really have an offense that's explosive has been an underrated part of this third iteration as they go for three in a row. The the Georgia offense is is flat out dominant. There's there's no other way to say it. And I feel like if if you've got a passing offense that's eighth in the country, whoever thought Georgia would have the eighth best passing offense in the country, the eighth best scoring offense in the country. Um, I feel like these games come down to explosive plays. And when Alabama pulled the upset in the SEC title game a couple years ago, it was a pure explosive play win, right? Pure explosive plays no with, with, with Bryce Young. So I don't feel like Alabama is equipped to do that against Georgia. And I feel like Georgia can hit those explosive plays. So I think they win. I don't think it's like something crazy. They're not going to blow out Alabama. But I think they win and they cover and the Bulldogs go and... Uh, 
yeah, the uh, the the Nick Saban twilight lagging behind Kirby. I think of our friend David Pollock's comments uh, before the title game or halftime of the title game last year uh, coming to uh, coming to fruition. So I think I think this is. This is Georgia's stage, and they uh, they seize it. You won't have long to uh, see the next iteration of it, though, since they play next September, which is uh, which is fantastic theater. Where in Tuscaloosa? Oh. <laughs> you think game day? Will I think be there? there's a really good chance <laughs> game day will be there. <laughs> you think so? I don't want to. I, I know. I'm gonna, ask you know. Ross, I'm gonna ask Rossio for the show yeah. code now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and get those expenses, book hey. those flights. Tell Rossio. Hey, where are we staying in September? Whatever. Yeah, Ross, <laughs> Rossio needs to. He's the guy who, who takes care of all of our hotel stuff and everything. He needs to. He needs he's to start finding some rooms in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I, I will say, if Alabama wins this game, and we get to this politicking thing Sunday. Uh, of who should be in with one loss if Bama's in that conversation. Coach Saban can't bring up the point spread anymore because he's won plenty of times as an underdog. And we got to make sure he knows that. So the point spread argument, I I can't listen to anymore. But you just said earlier, didn't you? Aren't you the one wanting to see about Florida State and who they're going to be favored against and who they wouldn't be? Or you just don't want, yeah, just, don't want I, him I, I just want it. for con- I just want it for context. Oh, okay. He's on his he's on his own island with that one. Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. What do people expect? I mean, when exactly. a coach comes in and starts lobbying, he didn't have much of a case last year. But uh, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. No, I no, mean, no I, I loved yeah, it. I, I loved mean, it. if uh, if Dan if Dan Lanning wins on Friday night, um, he'll he'll be he'll be pushing. He'll be pushing. Oh, know, yeah. That they should they should be in even if the undefeated teams went. Well, I guess they I guess they would clip an undefeated team. They he'll be pushing that no one should hop hop them, that Texas or Alabama, if they win, shouldn't hop them. Let's go to the American SMU at Tulane. Tulane a four point favorite. This kicks off at four PM Eastern. Let's go Reese, Steve, and then Pete. I, I would have really liked SMU in this game, but that injury to Preston Stone um last week is you know, is an absolute gut punch for them. They've had a great season. Their final, a final one in the American before they head off uh, to the ACC. Uh, Tulane, uh, Tulane bounces off the guardrails, which is a uh, you know watching that game against UTSA this weekend and really a couple of games. I think there was an East Carolina game. They've they've been uh, they've been flirting with danger, and I I think I would have picked SMU if healthy um but now with uh with some uncertainty there and i know that offense is a, a quarterback's dream but i'm going to go ahead and take Tulane, lay the points and say that the green wave go back to back and make their case to get into a new year six bowl uh, i agree to an extent but the one thing that i've really liked from smu this year is and you don't ever say it their defense their defense has played really well and when you look at Tulane, I get it, all the wins the last two seasons. But, uh, you know, they, they you know made it close. Um, or I should say Ole Miss scored late when they played them uh, to make that that score look a little different than, than the game went. But SMU's confident in their bunch, and I think it's a, I think it's a field goal game. So I'm going to take the points with the Stangs. If I could bet on Steve taking SMU, I would have made a lot of money this season. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm going to use my uh, use my 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 60 seconds here to just take a moment and appreciate Tulane football. 23 and three the last two years. 
11-1 this season, only lost to Ole Miss, which was a close loss. A victory over USC, Southern California, in the Cotton Bowl. That is fantasy land. Fantasy land for Tulane, which was basically mired in a bad century of football until Willie Fritz showed up. So I say that to to say that this could be the end of the Willie Fritz era here at Tulane. Uh, He's a target at Houston. That's not a secret. Uh, He could have had Georgia Tech last year. They didn't want to wait for him, which was crazy, crazy town, right? So... I uh, he took an impossible job and made it possible. That's really hard to do. So I think they send Willie. And again, I'm not saying it's done or anything like that. But like there'll be after that game, there could be decisions to be made. Um, if you're a Tulane fan, you'd feel really good if that job gets filled before Saturday. So um, salute to Willie Fritz and what he's done. They win by a touchdown, and uh, yeah, they're uh, they're having a cocktail in Uptown to celebrate. Pete, I will say that you know the time. It sounded like the timing was everything with Stoops last week. Right, timing like, matters, the, man. The way the yeah, the game, timing and then like matters. remember, remember this game with Tom Herman at Houston, that awkward interview. Yeah, with Cole, Cole Kubelik. <laughs> yeah, like I don't like now. It's at four o'clock on ABC. I just just weird things happen on this day with with those. And yes, I asked you the other day, just the timing of these guys and having too much success might cost them. But sorry to interrupt. I just no, no. It's a it's a it's a, it's a great it's a great point. So uh, Willie's going to be coveted. Um, he had stumped for the internal AD candidate, Courtney Gosha there. That, that didn't happen. They brought in David Harris from, uh, from, from Northern Iowa. And so it's, it's an interesting cross. There'll be more openings too. You know what I mean? There's going to be more yep. shuffle, shuffle in the carousel. But, uh, I just think, uh, whatever happens, uh, if they could go back to back conference champions, and again, I don't want to discount that Bowden moment Tulane had. So they did have that, uh, they did have the Bowden moment with Rich Rod as the OC, and our friend Sean King playing quarterback in the uh, was that the late nineties ninety eight ninety eight right yeah so they did they have had a moment but uh, for Willie to do what he's done there these last two years is awesome remarkable and uh, yeah I hope they I hope they toast him at uh, at Tulane this weekend let's go to the Sun Belt title game Appalachian State at Troy Troy trying to win back to back titles they are six and a half point favorite this kicks off at four p.m. Eastern let's start with Steve and then go Pete and Reese. Wow, this is a tough one because I got recency bias watching App State give it to JMU uh, when we were there. But I love what Troy and that staff has done. That defense really, really puts pressure on you. Uh, I'll take Troy. Uh, one of my favorite lines of this offseason was uh, from Troy coach John Summerall, who said they were a modest 12-2 and last year. Um uh, hmm. They won. If it wasn't as many one-score games as anyone in the country, it was darn. Uh, it was it was darn close to it. And uh, they are uh, they are now a, a modest uh, ten and two this year with losses to uh, with losses to K State and in uh, in JMU in a very in a very close game mm-hmm. uh, early, earlier this year. Uh, they are more explosive on offense than last year, so I give them I give them credit for that. Um, and I will, uh, I will, I will look past their recent modesty, and I will take them against App State, who is hot, by the way. Like it's, it, you know, they, there's, and they're healthy too. Uh, Nate Noel had been uh, had been dinged up for a while when they struggled, but I just think home game for Troy. Those guys, I mean, that that, that program's become a stone cold winner under Summerall, yep. and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push back against that. Last time these two teams played, I believe it was when College Game Day was at Appalachian State. And wow. they had the Hail Mary and won the game, uh, did App State. They've had a lot of success against Troy over the years. 
I, I like Troy at home, but I think I smell a close game here, and I mm. smell a little uh, vintage Appalachian State, uh, you know, championship, uh, championship medal and pedigree. So I'm going to take the points, even even on the road, and I'll go with the Mountaineers uh, taking six and a half. Have they been known to pull an upset? Yeah, they've, they've, they've gotten one or two in, in, their, in their history. Let's go to the Big Ten title game, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Michigan, a 23-point favorite against Iowa. Kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern time. While we were talking, I took Iowa to score first plus like 1,000 and then uh, like even odds for them to, uh, to hit the over on their first half point total, which is a half a point. So why not? Go. Let's go. Uh, we'll go Pete, Reese, and then Steve. Come what, on, Pete, do it. What, what was the uh, what was the number for? Uh, so this is what I'm going to do on this game. So the reason I'm on my my heater at the end of the year is I keep picking the Iowa under. <laughs> so I'm just I don't even know what the over under is. I'm just taking the under. All right, just just have at it, uh, gentlemen. Uh, no explanation needed if you've had your eyes open the last ten years. Uh, Iowa under go. I will um, I will take the over because I think Michigan will go over by itself. Uh, Iowa is a long time ago, but Iowa played Penn State, lost by 31, is 31 nothing. Um, Penn State at that time and still really had struggled a bit on offense. Michigan's a national championship caliber team. Iowa deserves all the credit in the world for getting to double-digit victories, for punting and playing defense, for you know going old-school football and finding a way to win its division and get to the Big Ten championship game for the second time in three years. I would, uh, if I were a wagering man, would bet the first half over because all it takes is a little sloppy miscue and a field goal uh, to go over. So I would take the first half over, but I think that their game total is six, and I would take the under for that. So I, I think I would. What if it's six and a six half? Six and a half. I would take the, I would take the under. <laughs> And right. uh, I would take the under, and I will lay them and laugh. Michigan is going to roll. They beat them 42-3 to in the Big Ten Championship game two years ago after that cathartic win against Ohio State, and they will beat them somewhere in that neighborhood again on Saturday night. Starting at Iowa's schedule on October 7th, you could go down the rest of the games. And, Reese, you're a college baseball guy. You could sell those as college baseball scores. You really can. Uh, and you just look at the – you could. I mean, they are college baseball scores. and Iowa had great you, offense, too. Iowa hits a bunch of home runs in college baseball, too. <laughs> there you go. And when you just look at the idea of those offenses, it's nothing compared to what they're going to see um, Saturday. Uh, I would lay them. Whatever. If we're able to take an over, I'll take the over as, as the pick. Uh, Schwenk, but um, if it's a spread, I'll take Michigan. But if there's one, give me the over. I don't see Iowa hanging around. Last one on the board, the ACC title game, Louisville against Florida State. Florida State, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. This kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. We'll start with Reese and then go Steve and Pete. This is the game that the potential open playoff spot everyone is keeping an eye on because they believe that – Louisville is going to clip Florida State. If you listen to Jeff Brom uh, in the aftermath of the loss to Kentucky, 
uh, he used the word ridiculous to describe the things that happened to his team in that game uh, at least four times, maybe more in a very short period of time. In that game, Louisville outgained Kentucky by 100 yards, but they had three turnovers. They gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown. They gave up a two-play 75-yard touchdown drive, a four-play 75-yard drive when Ray Davis busted a 37-yard run. That sound familiar? Uh, Florida State uh, busted some runs when they were up against it, against Florida last Saturday night. The Seminoles, I have, uh, I have believed in from the beginning. Obviously, that was with Travis. But I, it's not against the rules to improve as you go along, even late in the season. And another week with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback gives him the opportunity to settle in. It gives Alex Atkins, Mike Norvell, a chance to really hone in on how they can be effective against Louisville playing to his strength. His strength Saturday was finding Johnny Wilson. That was his security blanket. He got six catches. They do need to get Keon Coleman more involved than they had him last week. He had just one catch. Um, And if you take away sack yardage with uh, a diminished passing threat against Florida, the Seminoles only had 90 yards rushing. I believe it's setting up way too conveniently for everybody to believe a Louisville team, which just lost to Kentucky in a really big game, and a Louisville team, which has really improved and really good. And they've got the maestro of the upset on the sideline in Jeff Brom with all of those top five victories he had at Purdue, uh, you know, against uh, teams that should have outmatched his squad, and he still found ways to win. Certainly, I don't think that Louisville is that outmanned. So there's a lot to like about Louisville, but not enough. I think Florida State wins the game. Uh, wins a close one, pulls it out, probably with a Trey Benson run again, just like they did against Florida, and puts mm. all kinds of pressure and drama on the committee to deal with the Travis injury, uh, how you evaluate Florida State's uh, overall schedule. They have a great win against LSU, but you know it's sort of in the middle. You know, our our tech is Texas better if it wins? If Alabama pulls the upset, is Alabama better? and creates a lot, a lot of drama on Saturday. I'm going to say the Seminoles turn up the heat on the committee, and Mike Norvell and the Seminoles walk away with the ACC championship. Wow. I thought I was going to be the only one taking Florida State. I absolutely love this matchup. You touched on Brom, what he's done. I think these are two of the top six play callers in the sport. I really do with when you look at what they have. Uh, I think the world of them uh, in Norvell has has what it takes to to get this. And the one scenario that no one has brought up is if Florida State puts one on Louisville in this game. Then then that that all those all the all the people that want the one loss team are going to be really really up against. If it. that happens, Steve, there's no. Uh, I mean, there's yeah, not really any kind of argument. If, and, if. and and that's to say, and, and it's fair because you have to get, they've had a two game window to show improvement mm-hmm. with the quarterback. And that's, that is totally fine in my opinion. And you talk to lines makers, they don't know what to do because the volatility of Rodemaker can be, you know, great to, to horrible. And I, I see good. 
And the difference to me, the way Louisville is, they're freewheeling. They're, they're going to attack the Florida State defense. But with that, I still like the playmakers on Florida State's defense. I think they create turnovers, and that's the difference. Is Florida State gets great field position off of turnovers and more explosiveness. I, I agree with you on the Keon Coleman. I trust Norvell um, maybe more than anybody to get the ball in his best player's hands enough. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to take the Seminoles too. I really like Louisville's run defense in this matchup, right? Like, if you're if you're Florida State, your game plan isn't to score 50, it's to win. Mm-hmm. And Louisville, just simply put, has not let people run the ball on them this year. Uh, 97 yards a game, uh, number 11 in the country. And I think that sets up a really interesting matchup. Florida State transfer Jarvis Brownlee, who'd been injured much of the year for Louisville, back at corner. He had a pick against Kentucky. Um He's a he is he is a top player on their defense and a draft pick, and the they are going to make Tate Rodemaker go to Johnny Wilson. They're going to make him go to Keon Coleman again. Keon Coleman, unbelievable contested ball catcher. They are going to make him throw and throw and throw. That box is going to be more full than uh, than your local cemetery, man. There they are going to pack that thing in and say, "Hey, Tate, you want to go to the playoff? You better go over the top." Uh, and I think that's going to gum things up just enough to give Louisville a chance to hang around or win this game. So, I uh, again, that they obviously laid an egg against Kentucky in a rivalry game, but I still think the bones and the fundamentals of Louisville have them in good shape for this game. And I don't think Trey Benson, who's been great in recent weeks, is going to have the room to move, and that's going to create some good drama. Watch out for the wheel route, right? That's what, that's what mm. Brom was bemoaning uh, Saturday against Kentucky. But to your point, I mean, they didn't even reach with Ray Davis. They didn't even reach 100 yards rushing. And it'll be fascinating theater in, in Charlotte, especially because you're going to know what else has happened during Correct. the day. And Correct. you'll know if, if Texas has made its final statement. You'll know if Alabama's put itself into the mix. And then there it will be with all eyes on it Saturday night. And it'll be, it'll be great theater. One last question before we go quickly. If Georgia loses, who's the two seed? Hmm. I will say at the, let's see if Georgia loses and that would mean Michigan is the one seed. And mm-hmm. now basically we've, we've said if Washington wins, it'll be Washington. But mm-hmm. if, if Oregon wins, um, Oregon has been the highest ranked one loss team for the committee all the way. But I wonder if adding that Big 12 championship for Texas, if if Texas does it in dominating it's fashion, a long way to go. Yeah, it may be, but they're gonna. I, I'm gonna, you know, that's what I'm gonna say. I'm. I'll. No, okay. the most likely thing is that it'll be the Pac-12 champion. It'll be either Oregon or Washington okay. if. If they do so, obviously Florida State blows out Louisville. It might be them, but I still think Florida State's probably going to be three or four. And two and three doesn't matter no. that much, right? No, no I just that's wonder. a uniform yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah, you get home jerseys. That's just one. That's all. Who do you yeah. think? No, it's good, 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 good question. Who do you think, Steve? Uh Oregon. Yeah, I mean. Ba- <laughs> pretty good win if Bama gets it man it, the, the <laughs> most the most the most fascinating thing will be is if that were to happen and the other things fall that Alabama beats Georgia knocks Georgia out and also doesn't get in and I know mm-hmm. some people say that's preposterous but mm-hmm. they they have the Texas problem they have the undefeated teams in front of them 
problem. And they also, there's something that I haven't done a good enough job pointing out. There have been years when, I mean, they've, they've probably gotten some benefit of the doubt. No one has gotten the benefit of the doubt historically by the committee like Ohio State. Ohio State's gotten mm-hmm. more benefit of the doubt than anyone in the 10-year history of the playoff. But there have been times when Alabama has gotten the call once over Ohio State. But in those seasons, Alabama had done a lot to make you watch them and say that's an unequivocally better team. I don't see that this year. So I don't think it would be some, uh, some great travesty, you know, depending on the other results, if they win and wind up fifth. You know, it's just I don't know that they have separated to I don't in fact I don't think they have they've improved they're really good they'll be worthy if they get in with that win but I don't know that you look at them and say that they have separated from everybody else the way they have in some years is that reasonable absolutely yeah no doubt very do you think it'll happen Steve do you think do you envision the scenario in which Alabama upsets Georgia and is on the outside looking in Sunday I do not Pete I don't want to put it off the table at this point. I don't want to put it off the table just because there is a confluence of circumstance that is uh, that is fantastic. And again, we can't root for teams, but we can root for chaos. <laughs> That'd be some fun chaos. <laughs> It'll, and the other thing, too, I had uh, Marissa Dowling look up uh, win-loss record against CFP ranked teams. Adding to it, and if Alabama were to win and they do make it, and I start questioning Boo as to why, uh, over somebody, it looks as if they will have as many. They will have. They will tie. At worst, they will tie for both number of wins against teams currently ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. They're three and one right now. This would be their fourth win. Uh, the other teams with three are Georgia, and you know if Washington wins, Washington would have its fourth. But no one else. Uh, no one else has more than that. Michigan is. Uh, and the Michigan's- SEC is set. SEC seven and nine out of conference, correct? Right, and see, I think that plays into it too, Steve. A little bit. I think bit. that's that's all you have to. Yeah. With the Oregon Alabama thing, thing is seeing the disparity right now, mm-hmm. I think that's where that's the one thing I haven't heard brought up a lot. Um, but I, I like just look at that. That's the committee is taking that into account. I, yeah, I don't think they've looked at the SEC as being the same as it has been some years. And I think that's Correct. appropriate. It, I think most of the yep. metrics still say it's the best, but there have been a lot of results to indicate that there's not this giant margin now. And, you know, even though, uh, you know, like Michigan's only 2-0 and against ranked teams, but those two teams are in the top 10 you know, mm. right now. So they've got, you know, they've got a pair of wins, even if you look at the overall strength of schedule number, in, which is fairly comparable uh, to all and of that's these what's thrown off all the FPI rankings yeah. too. Yeah, and and Georgia's Georgia's the same way. They're three and zero, you know, against teams that are ranked, but their overall strength of schedule is sort of a middle of the mm-hmm. pack. And you know, it it's why we have a committee. I mean, if you want a formula, you know, go ahead. But the committee's supposed to be able to employ some football judgment, and we'll uh, we'll see if they have a the most difficult decision since the first year of the playoff, which I don't want to under undersell how difficult that decision was when they were mm. basically deciding among the two teams from the Big 12 who were co-champions, TCU and, Ohio and Baylor State. and Ohio State, who eventually got the nod and, and then went on to win the national championship. And also a reminder, kids, as we sign off on this Picks podcast and the last one before the college football playoff uh, field is announced, 
performance in the playoff does not validate Mm -hmm. nor does it invalidate selection. There are two different processes that go through. There is selection, which stands alone. And then after that, the performance does not mean they got it right. It does not mean they got it wrong. It means they won the selection process. Now it's up to them to perform. Off the soapbox, please, please, I implore you, use good judgment. And by using good judgment, you would subscribe to the College Game Day podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you don't do that, the next best thing you can do is download it wherever it is you prefer to get your podcast. Uh, We're going to continue on with these, but as we reach the end of Championship Week, want to thank our entire crew behind the scenes, especially Taylor and Sarah and everybody else who works to uh, get this out there. They do a tremendous job. They're patient with us. Uh, They're patient when the internet goes out. They're patient when one of us gets a call. They're patient when we're late. And we thank them for that and hope you've enjoyed that. We'll continue on through the postseason. Before we go, we have another interview from our friend Jen Latta inside the Mercedes-Benz ESPN College Football Podcast Sprinter down in Atlanta. The interview is brought to you by the Mercedes-Benz ESPN College Football Podcast Sprinter coming soon to a game near you. Visit mbvans.com slash Sprinter Labs to learn more. Now here's Jen Latta. This college football conversation from our custom ESPN college football sprinter van is presented by Mercedes-Benz. What a thrill it is today to have the man of the weekend, commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sanking, hanging out with us here in the sprinter van. This is such a cool thing. You've got Fan Fest going on, obviously a huge game tomorrow uh, right next door in the Mercedes-Benz stadium. What is it like to be the SEC commissioner on this day? It's fun. It's intense. We begin really on Wednesday with student-athletes being introduced to corporate career opportunities. Uh, We have some of our emerging athletic leaders for professional development. We have some meetings, which is just reality. Uh, Last night we had a dinner. So as we record this on, on Thursday night, we had a dinner with CBS just honoring 26 years of broadcast, knowing we moved to ESPN and ABC fully next year. And then preparations for the game and a lot of excitement and questions around this one versus eight matchup. You know, we've had one versus two before, one versus three, but the intrigue here with college football playoff selection looming on Sunday, I think has brought another level of interest and intensity, which seems hard to believe, but uh, it's upon us. I, I really look forward to the game on Saturday. It seems like there are conversations every year about the SEC being very top heavy and you've got your Georges and your Alabamas. But I have felt in the last few years, you've really seen some of those other squads emerge. Mizzou comes to mind and what Drinkwitz is doing there. How do you see the conference from top to bottom? When I I began, I was asked about us being a one-team conference. It's interesting to see others that occupy that label now. We've had three different teams win national championships. You know, Missouri being in the top ten of the college football playoff rankings. Uh, Ole Miss closely behind what what Josh has done, Josh Heupel at Tennessee to bring bring them back to you know a sixth ranking last year, top twenty five this year. Um, and you take a team like Kentucky that just went in 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 on the road, defeated Louisville. That will be one of the two teams that finished at the top of the ACC standings. I actually think the the notion that we're we're top heavy is is a result of people not looking deeply at the level of competition, um, the level of 
expectation, the level of support, the level of athleticism and dedication that exists that provides for a great competition. And I love that you have always prided the SEC on not just being a football conference, that you talk about so many other titles that the SEC wins in some of the other sports as well. So let's talk about that Georgia-Alabama game because it gets so much attention. There's so much intrigue. Nobody wants to write off the GOAT, Nick Saban. And obviously Kirby Smart has been doing remarkable things over the last few years at Georgia. How do you see this one shaking out? I would anticipate it being close. So I've, I've looked at these articles on analytics, and this is the one game that's predicted as not quite 50-50. I think George is the favorite, but it's like 54-46 winning percentage. They know each other really well. In fact, when I leave the podcast, I'll go see both. In a coach's show we, we present on the SEC Network, they each are interviewed individually. And then they come together, and every time they've been together, there's like this one new story that, is like in the in the bag of stories from years ago when they worked together. I, I think there's a lot of respect between the two. When you look at the teams, you know, last year's quarterbacks are both gone. Um, you had a lot of newness, um, particularly relative to Georgia from what they had had on the roster uh, for the two national championships, yet they performed well. I think there's a similarity in the, the – um, focus, the week-to-week the -week focus, the way expectations are set. And I would expect we're in what we saw perhaps in Indianapolis during the national championship game. You enter with a one-score differential in the fourth quarter um, and, you know, the decision-making, the mistakes, the, the, the excellent performances will make those determinations. And we've seen it a few times in the biggest of stages, and that biggest stage happens in the conference championship this year. I saw you manning the sidelines at the Red River rivalry as Texas takes on Oklahoma, and they, of course, are joining the SEC. What do you imagine, what do you envision for teams like that that can bring that environment, that bring that type of intensity, that can match you know, what exists currently in the SEC? What do you envision that addition doing for your conference? Well, that day, I had been near the game. I'd lived in Dallas for 11 years. I'd never experienced the, the OU-Texas game, and it was something to see. We have neutral site games, but the old Cotton Bowl with those tight stands and 90-plus thousand fans. Split right down the middle. Oh, yeah, and like Florida and Georgia split at the 50s, and that was split at the goalposts. Or no, I'm sorry, Georgia-Florida split at the goalposts. That split at the 50s, so you have this horseshoe of each side. Um, it was a really, really fun experience. I had to leave at halftime with the College Station for Alabama at Texas A&M, and I think we just add the big game feel to our inventory uh, with both Oklahoma and Texas. And I had the opportunity to go to Austin last year when Alabama played there and then in Tuscaloosa this year. And what excites me about our programs is you take Missouri, which we talked about, the sellouts they've had, you know, Kentucky's uh, conference games this year were all full. And the ability to bring teams through those locations more frequently, I think will just magnify the interest. And our schedule is set up to go to a single division in the future, which means we're going to see teams in our communities with much more frequency than we have in our divisional format. And I tend to think it's always good to have more representation. The 12-team playoff will certainly do that for teams that are relevant at the end of the season. There's been so much evolution in the college football space in recent years with name, image, likeness, and whatnot. 
what is the future of college football? Is it this idea of a couple of power conferences, maybe similar to what the NFL has going? What do you What do you see in the crystal ball? Yeah, that's a, a big question with a lot of possibilities. Um, I work from our responsibility for the Southeastern Conference outward, and I think we do have a responsibility for all of college football and, and college sports. Being part of the Southeastern Conference is not right for everyone. And with all the movement that's taken place the last two years, I certainly had phone calls. And some of those phone calls were me saying, you know what, that's that's not who we are. So that doesn't cause me to just leap to something very different with, with only two conferences. I, I think there's value in the regional relationships and rivalries that exist, the regional competitions. Um, some would say we should just break football apart. My response to that is how do I look – Last year we had the first draft pick in the NFL draft, the first collegiate draft in the NBA draft, the number one WNBA draft pick, the number one Major League Baseball draft pick. So how do I look at all of those non-football sports and say we're only going to do things for football because we're breaking it off in a different way? I think we have to think more deeply about how we change. In the next five or ten years, I think the game looks much the same. There will be tweaks and changes. We've seen that. Um, we're going to have to adapt at the national level um, when we come together uh, as, as institutions of higher education. Change can be hard on our campuses and around our campuses and even around sports. We're going to have to move more rapidly for adaptation. I don't think the status quo we have in the name, image, and likeness area, for example, can remain on a state-by-state -state law basis. Our student-athletes deserve something better than what's happening now. I've been clear we're going to have name, image, and likeness activity, but it should be healthy. It should be above board. There should be consumer protections. And two teams from different states lining up to play a football game should know that their opponents are following the same regulations that they're required to follow under the law. I'm a storyteller by nature, as you well know, and so I think about you as a young man. What would young Greg think of the career you've had, your position in sports, your position in college football? It's an interesting week to be asked that question because uh, for the first time in over 20 years, I attended a, a basketball game at what is now the JMA Wireless Dome in Syracuse, New York. And so that, that young guy, that young Greg, was first made aware of college sports through Syracuse University. They made a Final Four run when I was almost 11 years old in 1975. And I can remember listening to the radio, and it was – it wasn't just an aha moment, but it was an introduction to the, the, the educational space and competitive sport, and that those two things could coexist. And I, I had the thought, the question you asked me, I was able to sit courtside with John Wildhack, the athletics director next to LSU's bench, watching the team. And I could point up to the rafters where I was in the 80s for a Georgetown game or in the midsection. Uh, when they broke the, the campus attendance record. And it was a moment to say, wow, how far it's come. My wife and I had had a conversation that just months after we were married. We just passed 35 years where we were talking about our collective future. And I said, I wonder how far, I wonder if I can work in college sports, and if so, how far might it go? And so whether it's here this week with the biggest championship game of them all or sitting there in a place that you know, way back in the early 80s I attended my first Syracuse game in the Dome. It was Navy uh, in Syracuse. Frank Maloney was the coach. I think it was a 6-3 loss. Navy won. Um, and I had the chance to reflect that I never would have predicted this. You, you try to make well-informed decisions. I've made mistakes. probably made more right decisions career-wise than others. But it's special. And I think part of our challenge around 
state laws, around litigation, is how do we maintain a breadth of opportunity for young people? Yep, football matters, basketball matters, gymnastics matters, swimming and diving, our track and field programs, on and on. How do we make sure that's there? So someday in, in a van like this, somebody can be asked the same question about did you envision the opportunities unfolding the way they did, and what did you do to make the most of them? And I've been fortunate to have been a part of college sports and hope it continues for a little while still. Well, congratulations on all the success. Congratulations on the anniversary that just yeah. passed as well. We got married no in November, small feet. which is a mistake if you're a conference commissioner. <laughs> I didn't have a vision for this. Never job. get married yeah. during the football yeah. season. Greg Sankey hanging out with us here. This conversation from our custom ESPN college football sprinter van is presented by Mercedes-Benz. Thank you so much.